It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. In 2017, amidst the backdrop of the Mueller investigation and Russian spy paranoia, the world learned via a New York Times bombshell that the Pentagon had a top secret UFO program. The Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP for short, had a $22 million black budget and looked into aerial threats that nobody could understand, UFOs. The details were terrifying. U.S. fighter jet pilots regularly came into contact with otherworldly flying objects that nobody could understand. That's not our LNS though, is it? It's not. That is our LNS, dude. Well, if there's a thing, it's rotating. There was mention of alien alloys and dark auras. Sci-fi had become reality. And possibly most striking of all, highly respected Democratic Senator from Nevada, Harry Reid, had been instrumental in the whole project. This week on Cyber, Motherboard EIC spoke to Senator Reid about why he believes in UFOs and why we need to consider them a possible threat worth investigating. Hi, Senator Reid. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for doing this. I uh, hope that you're doing as well as can be expected during this uh, very weird time. Doing fine. Yep. Thank you. That's good. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the various programs that you oversaw and um, a little bit more broadly about this idea of UFOs and aerial advanced aerial threats. I think I'd love to start with your tweet. Um, last week, you tweeted that the UFO videos that the Pentagon released only scratches the surface of the Pentagon's research and that the American people deserve to know more. Um, I'm curious uh, what more you can say about that, if if anything, because I know a lot of this stuff is classified or secret. Well, I can remember the first uh, major story that was written about this. A woman called me from the New York Times. Her name was Helene Cooper. and. Uh, she said she wanted to know, want to talk to me about um, some what I had done to get twenty-two million dollars to study um, these uh, unidentified flying objects. And I said I'm happy to do that, except I'm not willing to talk about little green men. I'm happy to talk about science. That's where I'm still coming from. Um, I'm happy to discuss this information. Um, I think that it's too bad that the we're not spending more money more money now trying to figure out what's going on and what this is all about. And we don't have enough uh, scientific information to to say we know everything about it. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about how the Advanced Aerospace Weapons Systems Application Program started? I, I know that later evolved into the uh, AA TIP program, but um, was that supposed to be a UFO program from the outset, or was it solely uh, focused on advanced propulsion? I don't think there. I think it's interchangeable. Um, how I first got interested in this, a friend of mine uh, said he got a letter from someone from the Defense Intelligence Agency, 
and he wanted me to take a look at it. So I did. And uh, the man that wrote the letter, um, he didn't want to come to my office. I didn't want to go to his. So I had him come to my home. And his name is, you can find it if you want, but I always said that I wouldn't um, publicly state his name. He came to my home, and he said, I'm an expert in rockets. I know where they are. I know where they came from. I know the present status. I know where they're going to go in the foreseeable future. But he said, there's some things I don't understand. And that's these unidentified flying objects are aerial phenomenon, call them whatever you want. And he said, I would, uh, I think we should do something about that. And uh, I was convinced after doing some work on my own after going to him that he was right. And that's how I got involved in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you what I've said before, but I'll tell you. Um, I was the leader of the Senate at the time, and I called into one of the classified briefing rooms, Senator Dan Inouye of Hawaii and Stevens of Alaska. And the purpose of that, these two men controlled a lot of the spending in the uh, defense budget. And they controlled most of the black money, the so-called secret money. And I told uh, them that this is a program I wanted to start. I thought, you know, I thought it was time that we had a fresh look at all this. And um, it was an easy sell because Senator Stevens said, good. He said, I've been interested in this since I was in the Second World War. So I was flying one day, and there was an object off my left side. And I would go down, I would go up, I would go whatever way, and it, I couldn't get rid of it. It was always there. And um, I was getting low on fuel, so I had to go back and land. When I landed, I went to air traffic control, and I said, what was that up in the air with me? They said, we don't know what you're talking about. Um, so that's why Stevens was easy to sell on this. Um, and that's where we got the $22 million to. We put it out to bid, and um, anybody that wanted to take a look at this could do it. And um, as we know now, that Bigelow, who now has an aerospace company here in Las Vegas, uh, got the bid. So uh, was Bigelow... Uh, always going to be the organization that carried out a lot of this research? Were there Was there anyone else who bid and were any other organizations in the mix uh, for this program? As far as I know, I, I don't know of any others that bid on it. I'm sure they did, but I don't know. But he got the bid. But I never went back and looked at that. Mm-hmm. Make sure that specs were good and all that. Left, left and again. So uh, as you mentioned, the AATIP program, um, you know, it was a black budget. It was a special access program where only a few different people knew about it. I'm curious if you ever pushed for more public disclosure about the specifics of the program and what it was looking into uh, while it was active. The answer is no. Um, so it has been said by the Pentagon since the AATIP program became public that it was 
not a UFO program. And they said that, you know, this man, Luis Elizondo, didn't run it. Um, you know, what do you make of that? Uh, is, is it a UFO program? Did it study UFOs? Did it study UAP? And uh, as far as you know, did Luis Elizondo run it? There's been controversy as to whether Luis ran it or not. No, who ran it? Don't think it matters. We know we had the program, and uh, we have information we received as a result of the money that was spent by the federal government. So I think as to trying to uh, belittle Elizondo, I don't see what that accomplishes. Um, and the Pentagon has said that the program no longer exists. Um, but do you know if similar programs to it do exist and if this is, you know, UFOs are still an area that the Pentagon is still studying? I don't know what the Pentagon is doing, but if they're not doing something, it's too bad for our country because they certainly should should be doing something. Because I guarantee you, China's got a program. They're looking at all this. Russia's looking at it. Uh, and if we're not looking at it, it's too bad for the American people because that is that is a malpractice. When you see these videos uh, that the the Pentagon has released, do you have any theories as to to what they are? You know, my speculation is as good as the next guy's. I don't know what they are, and that's why I'm glad we at least have these the ability anymore mm-hmm. to take these pictures. Ten years ago, we couldn't have taken the pictures. And now that cameras on the aircraft are so precise, you can do that, and that's wonderful. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the philosophy of looking for these things and studying these things, because we're a science publication, we're a science website. And in science, the search for extraterrestrial life or the, the search for to explain the unknown is looked at as something to be very highly serious, very regimented, and it's a multidisciplinary endeavor. Uh, but in government, when you say, you know, we want to study UFOs or, or we want to uh, determine what these things are, it, it's kind of looked at as something on the fringe. And I'm curious, uh, I mean, do you agree with that characterization and, and why do you think that is? Well, as I said earlier, and I believe this, uh, even some of my staff told me to stay away from all this. Um, but I never looked back. It was something I was interested in. I thought it was something that government should be involved in. And I think if the Pentagon and other government officials don't continue working this, it is a really unfortunate thing for the country because other countries are doing it. Uh, did you ever see any of the research that Bigelow is doing? Like, did you ever visit Skinwalker Ranch or, or see any of the experiments in person? No, I, I, I of course, followed it very closely. Uh, talked to mm-hmm. people that worked there. Um, and uh, and that- but I, I made the decision... Uh, that I uh, it was very difficult for me to go there because I was a government employee. I was a member of the Senate, and uh, I guess I could have paid my own way up, but I didn't feel it was appropriate for government uh, to take me. 
And so I think, well, just listen to others. Um, and that's what I did. I followed it very closely. I mean, there are people that I still, uh, there are people I still uh, am in touch with. Um, the man that whose name I haven't mentioned, um, he, he has been there several times. He and I are still friends. I still talk to him. Um, but, you know, there are all kinds of uh, interesting reports uh, about people who have gone there. Um, they go hire a number of retired Navy SEALs and um, because there was too much weird stuff going on up there. So, but no, I have not been there. Um, have you have you ever met Tom DeLong? You know, I I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I don't know. <laughs> I hate to say, I I think I have because I've I've met Elizondo several times, and they've been together, so I've, mm-hmm. I probably have. But um, that's the best answer I can give you. Yeah, I ask just because uh, you know he has mainstreamed a lot of this research. I feel in the last few years, and and you know, was sort of instrumental in the original release of some of these AATIP videos. And so I was just curious what, what you thought of his research, even if you haven't met him. Um, are you familiar with his organization? Yeah, I think that he's tried to uh, mainstream some of this information. And I think he has, you know, he's a rock singer, a rock musician. And I think that uh, his uh, notoriety there has been good for the project because it's a different um, take coming from uh, an entertainer rather than a scientist or somebody that works for the government that works for the government. And then um, I think I, I align with you and that it, I think that all of this and for all of these videos should be looked into this phenomena should be looked into. Um, I personally believe that, you know, I, I don't know what they are, but I'm curious uh, uh, on a more philosophical level, do you believe in aliens or extraterrestrial life? And I mean, where, where do you come down on that? Well, I look at it this way. Um, the world as we know it today is extremely large. It's so big, I can't comprehend it. Um, and I think that we as human beings have to be a little uh, short-sighted if we think we're the only Species in the entire uh, unit in the entire universe. There's more than one. When we talk about um, you know government research programs and advanced aerial threats, um, do you hold the possibility that that some of the things that have been found could be extraterrestrial in in nature, or is this? Um, do you think that? This, these research programs are specifically focused on just, you know, studying unidentified threats regardless of where they come from, and that's a completely separate discipline from looking for extraterrestrial life. Well, I don't think, think you can separate them. I think it's all one big basket of stuff. You can't, you know, it's not. We we learned with the work that we did that these sightings of uh, aerial phenomenon has not been seen by a couple dozen people, not a couple of hundred people, thousands of people, thousands of people. We have that, we have that down pretty pat. 
we know that uh, some unusual things have happened over the decades. Bases in the uh, Dakotas, missile launching facilities we have there, have been shut down because of something over them, uh, basically shutting off the power to them. We've all read now about the counts off the coast of San Diego where ships uh, found these unusual things in the water and it shut down the communications on the ships. So I think that we need to fully understand this and have no boundaries on where we look for it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I repeat now for at least the second or third time that people should not be afraid. I, I think there are too many of my legislative friends are afraid to go into these areas for her that someone will think they're some kind of a nutcase. But I went into it and Um, You were a senator for 30 years, and obviously, I think it's fair to say you've probably done more than any other lawmaker to research this, uh, make sure that these sorts of phenomena get research and get the funding that they need. Um, In your retirement, have you continued to be? But Jason, I would say I've done more than anybody else. Sad part about it, no one else has done anything, so saying I've done more than anybody else is no big deal. That's fair. That's fair. Do you think that there's anyone in Congress now that is doing anything? No, there's no one doing anything, and that's too bad. They've, mm-hmm. they've had a few briefings, but what we need are some uh, some money spent, uh, programs that give the Pentagon, NSA, the ability to go in and take a look at some of this stuff. Why do you think uh, the Pentagon should be doing this as opposed to NASA or a, a more civilian organization that is, uh, you know, specifically dedicated to science? Well, I don't know what civilian organization could do it, and I don't. I think um, the Pentagon is the easiest place to go. We know that the um, work being done with a, for the first time in a long time, we're going to have our own rockets um, going into space. Um, They've all been blasted off in Russia in the last last ten years. So I think that it's good we're involved in it, but not nearly involved enough. And I don't know whether Pentagon is the best place to go, or uh, those folks that are working with the uh, rocket system. But something Mm -hmm. should be done. What sorts of research would you like to see being done right now? Like, do you think that the AATIP program? Was enough? I mean, we're talking about twenty-two million over the course of five years. That's not—that's not a lot in the world of uh, no. government spending. It wasn't enough, and it, I think it is a negligence. I think it's too bad it's not more being done on it because, as I've said before, other countries are doing research in this area, and we should be also. Remember, Jason, going back to what I said when the man came to see he knows where rockets started, where they are now and where they're going to be in the future. But he didn't understand all this, all these uh, unexplained aerial phenomena. And that's what we should be focused on. Why do you think uh, we are not taking this seriously? Like, as, as you say, these could pose a threat. These could be flying over the United States right now. You know, why, why is this not a major topic of conversation? I think the legislators are afraid that to do this for fear they'll be charged with wasting taxpayers' dollars or, I, you know, I just think they're afraid to do it. 
for fear that someone will say they should be spending the taxpayers' money on more important things like building more airplanes or something. You know? Senator, I think that's all I have for you for the moment. I, I'd like to thank you so much for your work on this, uh, this topic and also for talking to me. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ben, did you enjoy my interview with the senator? I did. It's going to be, it's going to be something I believe that people will very much enjoy. Do you want to hear a behind-the-scenes anecdote? Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> uh, the audio on my end was extremely echoey, and so it was very hard to hear what he was saying. And I was freaking out the whole time about whether or not it was recording. Uh, so <laughs> basically, I was just, uh, I was completely losing it the entire time. But I think it ended up okay. I hope I hope it did. If you have any, if you're worried about uh, me not pressing him hard enough or not asking like the proper follow up questions, the reason was because I had a very hard time hearing what he was saying because my phone is messed up in quarantine. But the audio ended up sounding fine, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is the thing about this pandemic. It's like it's forcing like idiots like us to think that we can do anything close to audio engineering. Yeah. Turns I mean, out the people had, we work with daily are so much better at this than we could ever even imagine. Yeah. Had we done this in the office, we would have had like a whole setup and it would have just worked seamlessly and fine. But here I was like fiddling with various settings at, while doing what was like an interview that I was extremely excited for and just kind of freaking out about it. Uh but I think it was fine. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that didn't come through in the interview. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I love the interview. It was really fun. <laughs> UFOs, man. Yeah. They, they're always great. Yeah. So, okay, uh, so what are we talking about, Ben? Well, this week, there's a bit of a, a variety, I got to tell you. So let's start with going back to Lauren because she's killing this beat, the labor beat in tech. And obviously, it's really come under focus, especially during this pandemic. So she has also broken the news on how several companies or workers of companies have gone on strike. And she went out and got Amazon, Instacart, Target and FedEx workers to explain why they're striking to us. And it's it's a good one. Yeah. So last Friday was May Day, uh, International Workers Holiday. Solidarity. Yeah. And um Amazon, Instacart, Target, FedEx and Whole Foods employees all went on strike. Uh, a lot of them did sick outs. A lot of them just like said that they weren't coming. And I think 
there's a tendency when you hear something like this to be like, oh yeah, like, you know, these workers are not going to go to work today. And that, that is like part of the labor movement is that we're stronger as a collective versus uh, individually. But I think that there also can be a flattening effect to that where it's just like these, like these people who you don't always see, like if they're Amazon workers in, in warehouses, it's just like, you know, these are the people who make things appear magically at my door and you don't think about them uh, in terms of like what they go through every day and them having like lives outside of that, you know, like, like it, I think that, yeah, I think that there's like a flattening effect where it's like, you know, the, these people as a collective are going on strike, but, and they, they tend to talk through like labor groups and, and things like this. And I think it's very like useful to see what they're dealing with, like the issues that they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and to see them as humans and, and very importantly to see their faces uh, and so I think 10 people talked to Lauren about specifically why they personally were going on strike as well as uh, some of the ways that these companies anti-labor and uh, dehumanizing policies have affected them. So that's that's like a really important piece to go read. I think um, the, these movements have had an effect. Like, you know, you see people either boycotting these companies or saying that they're not going to um, shop from them as often. And then at higher levels of the company or, or of Amazon, at least you, we saw the first high profile departure, um, which I believe was a, was a Jason Kebler scoop. It was, uh, I happened to see his uh, blog post first type vibe, but uh, so Tim Bray, who is a senior software engineer and vice president for Amazon web services, He's like been around for a long time. He, I think he helped work on like XML and a couple other open source um, like protocols. He wrote a scathing, open, a scathing, very scathing letter in which he called the company chicken shit for firing <laughs> protesting workers. Uh, so that it had become a toxic workplace um, and that these firings, which uh, we've reported on, Lauren's reported on and uh, Vice News have reported on, uh, have created a climate of fear within the company. And I'm going to read a, a quick little part of it. Kel um, surprise, by the way. It was, yeah, it was a really good letter though. Um, he said, it was firing whistleblowers isn't just a side effect of macroeconomic forces, nor is it intrinsic to the function of free markets. It's evidence of a vein of toxicity running through the company culture. I choose neither to serve nor drink that poison. Oh, that was... That is such a good line. He should write for Motherboard. <laughs> yeah, he also said uh, remaining remaining an Amazon VP would have meant, in effect, signing off on the actions I despised, so I resigned. So that's good. Um, and good I mean, it's very Timothy good. Timothy Bray. Uh, that's a pretty, That's. I mean, that's like one of those wins you'd never expected to have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then let's talk about your two stories. Yeah, Silver Core. So the mercenaries. Silver core. For those who missed the uh, failed coup attempt in Venezuela this week. <laughs> <laughs> what I like to call it is it's it's the broke ass version of a burn after reading coup d'etat. To me, it, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty lately because I'm, I don't know, I'm into Warzone at the moment. And it really strikes me as just like a super failed 
uh, real life version of what I do on that game all the time, which is just like land and immediately die. Um, well, see, here's the thing. This is what's insane about it though. It's like what I think there was like, they think there was about 60 people or 60 guys that were involved, but either way there was, uh, 13 quote unquote terrorists were captured by Venezuelan authorities, two of which were actual ex green berets, which is just like, you'd think that this, they, they, they would have been storming this beachhead a little, a little more smartly. But the thing that we found out was that there was sort of this digital trail left behind by the company when they were actually planning their amphibious assault on on Venezuela. They even tweeted it. Yeah, they <laughs> like tweeted the it to the president like uh, coup incoming. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, invasion. It was like, two yeah, ex uh, Green Berets, like blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, it was. It was as far a real, as I know, it was like foiled by fishermen or something. Yeah, there were. I mean, they saw them coming, and then. I mean, the other thing is, too, is you got to think that like Venezuelan authorities probably were like, oh, my God, we're just going to call this shot from like two days earlier because they're telling us they're about to do this. Yeah, it's just like outrageous. So, yeah, you uh, you tracked their digital uh, footprint and found some very interesting things. Yes. One of which which led us on a, a broader path to, to verifying. But we noticed that on their official Instagram page, they were advertising security services that they'd provided to a Trump rally in Charlotte, North Carolina in October 2018. And it turns out it was a real rally that Trump had done. And then we actually saw not only did that photo on Instagram that was posted match up with other things that we found, like a video, a promotional video that the company actually put out itself <laughs> following the lead or the leader of the, the entire company, Goudreau, Jordan Goudreau. It was, I mean, it was kind of easy to be honest with you, but there were also other ones. We think that they also provided security services to the Houston rally, which was right around the same time. And of course, uh, from the AP report that originally broke the story, we know that the CEO of the company who is pictured in all these, these different Instagram, social media postings and videos at this Trump rally providing security also met with Trump's personal bodyguard, who then introduced him to Juan Guaido, who's widely considered one of the opposition figures of Venezuela in Miami. This, this whole story is just, I mean, it's absurd. But I dove further down the rabbit hole and then found the Instagram page of one of the captured mercenaries, ex-Green Berets, Aaron Barry. And well, Jason, it, it took a turn that I didn't think this story was going to take. Yeah, uh, he had some uh, seemingly has some very interesting political views. Yes, yes, he uh, he. For those of you not familiar with uh, red pilling, which is essentially like seeing the being able to see the political system for what it is and all the conspiracies around it, or at least this is what the far right will call you, or the far right will call it. He followed uh, several red pill accounts, also a bunch of QAnon accounts. So yeah, the Q made an appearance in this. And not only was he following, you know, QAnon accounts, and some of them were like really big ones, ones that really peddle some crazy shit and are well known as just complete conspiracy factories that, you know, make people think that like Trump's winking at them and giving them Morse code during press conferences to say that the cabal's after him. But there was also he was he was following some hashtags like like Q QAnon Army, like eight. 8KUN. Anyway, it, it was nuts. Like, it's pretty clear he at least is interested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I think I can't remember the exact hashtags he was following, but yeah, it was like Q Army and um, Q Eight Coon or something. Things that uh, probably Instagram shouldn't have up on its site anyway. Like probably no, uh, no, it like, shouldn't. Just like broad, wild uh, conspiracy theories that involve like lots of murders and things like this. Um, but yeah, I, I saw, mean that's the thing is it's I saw it was a just really like, great um, QAnon tweet the other day, and uh, I'm curious if you've heard this one. It's that uh, both President Obama and Hillary Clinton have been executed by a military tribunal uh, within the last two to three months and have been replaced by clones. Did you see that? I have not seen that, but it doesn't surprise me even slightly. Something to look into. Something to consider. I mean, my favorite one is my absolute favorite one was the one that happened last year that ended up being a total fucking crock of shit, obviously but that they thought that uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. was coming back from the dead to assume control of the American government from like the deep state. And this was all going to happen like in August sometime in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like obviously time, the time passed and, you know, JFK yeah. Jr. didn't reappear <laughs> miraculously. Yeah. I remember that one. Um, okay. Shall we? Shall we call it? Yeah, we'll call it. Call That's it, good. Call it a podcast. We yeah. Need, all right, everyone. Stay we need safe. To get better at, at logging off. I listen to other podcasts and like there's a natural crescendo uh, and then you feel like you're being eased into like the exit. Kind of like this. Watch. Yeah. Well, Jason, I feel like we learned a lot in this in this podcast today. And I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, we just got it gives a lot to think about. Going yeah. Forward. I mean, I, I think I hope that all of our listeners just take what we told them to heart and think about it for a little while. Um, you know, it's been great having a, a chat with you, but uh, I think we should just wind this down. Yeah. Q Army forever. <laughs> oh, God. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>